Matthew chapter 5, we're looking at uh, actually the last part of verse 42, but I want to begin reading at verse 38, if you would. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. That's an awful verse, isn't it? <laughs> it assumes ownership is what it does. It assumes, of course, that you own uh, whatever you have and you have the right to give it away. It assumes that you own something and someone is coming, an evil person in this case, is coming to you and he's wanting to borrow what you own. So ownership, obviously, is at the very core of what he's talking about in verse 42. Ownership. Ownership brings about uh, responsibility. Ownership brings about uh, a possessiveness. Ownership brings about uh, stress. Do you realize that all your stress is connected to ownership? That if all ownership was eliminated in your life, you would have no stress at all. A rental car, I never check the oil. Don't care. Don't own it. It's my car that I... Would you pray for my kids? Sure I will. Sure I will. I'll put them on my list. But I'm not staying up all night. Why? Not my kids. They're your kids. What would happen if all ownership... Well, it's my life. That's why I'm stressed out. It's my... What if it wasn't your life? What if you belong to someone else? And there was no ownership. Changes everything. Every scripture has another scripture which explains it. I believe that. I believe that the Bible is its, best, its own best commentary. So when you come to the scriptures in this passage, there is a commentary, a life experience commentary in the Bible itself that gives this. And we have dealt with that in times past. It's found in the book of Acts, of course. And it is the scene where there is a lame beggar who is at the, who is at the gate beautiful. And you'll remember the lame beggar at the gate beautiful. It's been there for years, years and years. In fact, the scripture makes a point to tell you that he's over 40 years of age. And he's been begging there since childhood. So he's been trained, this is his thing, he's into this, he knows how to do it, he dresses like the beggar, he's crippled, uh, this is not somebody from out of town who's come in, we know this guy, he's a part of our community, we wept with his parents when he was born, over it crippled us, we understand what's happening. He has spent a lifetime at the gate beautiful begging. And in this beggarship, as he's begging there by the gate beautiful, Peter and John go walking by. 
And in this walking by, he sees a new mark. He sees in his con, in his con effort, a new way, a new, a new person to get money from. And so he yells out uh, and begs for money from Peter and John. Now it's interesting, the answer that Peter and John give to him, which I want to get into with you as a commentary to this passage right here. The beggar is begging for money, asking for that which he can get. And Peter and John, Peter especially, turn to the beggar and say this in Acts chapter 3 verse 6. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. Now I've always looked at that as, well, that's a typical preacher answer, you know. <laughs> hey, I'm broke. Preachers are always broke. Have you ever seen a preacher who wasn't broke? Or who didn't say he was broke. He probably wasn't. But he didn't. Anyhow forget that. So here silver and gold I do not have. Probably wasn't the truth. I'm not saying that Peter was lying. But we also understand that people had gone out and sold their property in the early church. And had given it to the apostles to distribute to the poor. And to meet the needs of the congregation. So Peter could have allocated some of the funds to this man. He could have gone and gotten some funds and give the guy what he asked for. But he did not. He turned to the guy and said, what I, but what I do have... I give to you. What's so startling in the passage is the fact that the word for have related to the silver and gold is different than the word have that's related to Jesus and what he's going to give to him. Listen to it again. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have. Those are two different concepts, two different words. In other words, Peter has said, silver and gold I do not have. And the Greek word there is a word that literally has to do with materialism in some sense. In other words, it has to do, in this case with materialism for sure, it has to do with the beginning prefix which is under, means under. And it has to do with the idea of first or beginnings, rulership. In other words, it's a word that's used for Satan and all of his power. So what you've got is, you've got a word that says, hey, silver and gold, I do not have. Meaning, hey, what's going on in the realm of materialism, I am not under that. In fact, this word indicates a state of being. So if you could picture materialism as a state of being, what you own as a state of being, your physical involvements as a state of being in which you dwell and you are under that state of being. And materialism and what you own has literally taken power over you and is reigning upon your life and you are under the domination of the physical things. Peter is addressing the lame beggar saying, that's not the state I dwell in. That's an interesting concept. I picture it as um, a house. A house exists to serve my needs. I put the pictures where I want them. The furniture is like I desire it to be. It's functional to meet my needs. Give the house life. 
Wouldn't it be interesting if the house begins to exist to meet its own needs? And I end up dwelling in the house to serve the house. I've seen some people's homes like that, folks. The house didn't meet their needs. They meant the needs of the house. Their whole life was under the domination of the physical materialism of their life. They were so far in debt in their credit cards. They had to have a job. They had to work an extra job to maintain the domination of the materialism in which they served and materialism was a veneer over the whole space of their existence. And they lived within the domination of that veneer, that covering, and were dominated by it. Peter turns to a lame beggar and says, You live in the domination of the physical, material aspect of your life. You live in that. You operate in that state. Your whole perspective is determined by it. Your viewpoint is all wrapped up in your materialism, what you can get. You eke out your existence underneath this, this domination of this state of materialism. Peter says, I want to announce to you, I do not live in that state. He's not saying, I don't have money. He's not saying, I don't have coins I could give you. He is saying, I don't live in the same state that you live in. That's not my dwelling place. Wow. But the state that I do live in, which is a different word. It's the word echo. It literally has the idea, and it's best explained in pregnancy, to have something like a pregnant woman has a child in her womb. He says, I want to tell you, indwelling me, pregnant within me, is a life that is so powerful and so overwhelming. It literally moves through my whole being. It literally expresses itself in my actions and living. It literally gives, it literally gives life to all that I touch and I am willing to reach out and touch you I have this I have this this life I carry this within my flesh I don't live in the domination of the state of your materialism that you live in I live in the state of the indwelt presence of almighty God that literally flows in my being and what I have I am willing to share with you in the name of Jesus rise and walk in the man's real need isn't it interesting that he did not give him what he wanted he gave him what he needed Several Saturdays and nights ago, we talked about Christianity being a having religion. That is so phenomenal in its statement. 
Do you realize that Christianity is the only religion in the whole entire world that claims you can have God? I know on first on the surface glance that sounds ridiculous. God is all powerful. Like, no. He's all knowing. I got that. He's omnipotent. Absolutely. He's omnipresent. All the omnis. Wow. Far beyond transcendent. Absolutely. And for me, a mere human being, to come to the state where I say, I got him. Would that not be the height of hypocrisy? Arrogance? Would that not be outlandish for a man to strut around talking about, I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me. How would you ever have the nerve? It's interesting that this word echoes is used 700 times in the New Testament. And it constantly is talking about how we have these, these aspects of who God is. For instance, John talks about how I have the love of God. I carry it around like a, like a pregnant woman with a child within her womb. That this love of God is not something that's expressed towards me now and then. It's that which I literally embellish in my system. Flows through my very existence. Moves in my very throbbing heart. And penetrates the very essence of my thought process. I have this love. I dwell in it. I possess it. John talks about how I have the peace of God. In a world that's full of turmoil and upset and disturbance. I dwell as a, as a, I dwell in this, this existence. I have this very peace of God dwelling within my structure. Flowing in my system. Penetrating my very life. Bringing peace to the very existence of my thoughts. What could disturb me? You can't put ripples on my pond. I have this. John is so strong in proclaiming, I have eternal life. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen? You are not going to die and then go into eternity and have eternal life. You either have it now or you won't ever have it. It's a present tense thing now. You don't get it when you die. Jesus is eternal life. I've already crossed the line. Which is why Jesus turned to Mary and Martha and said, If you believe in me, you will never, ever die. Why? Because it's already yours. 
the eternalness of my existence literally dwells in you like a babe in his mother's womb. You are literally pregnant with life itself. And it literally spills through your brain and literally expresses itself in the very attitude of the way you approach your life because you literally have eternal life. The grace of God. I have the grace of God. The grace of God has literally been deposited. I have the light of God himself. My life is literally filled with light. You can just see it's just full of this in the New Testament about what you have that has come from him that he has literally taken it and dumped it in you but the real crux of the whole matter is that he begins to express you have God's love you have God's peace you have God's grace you have God's life you have God's light but the reason you have that is because you have him The entire Son and Father and Spirit dwells within me. I possess Him. Again, that sounds so, so, so arrogant, doesn't it? It sounds so that a mere human being could begin to strut around and act like he possesses God like he has some kind of some kind of ownership of the divine like there's some kind of connection between the man and his God that is so intimate and it's the merger idea it's the it's the come together oh let me read you two verses whoever denies the son does not have echo the father either he who acknowledges the Son has, has, has the Father also. Listen to this one. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has, has has both the Father and the Son. What would it do to your life if you had the awareness that 24 hours a day you possessed the reality of the divine God within your being what would that do to the security of your life what would that do to your responses and your reactions to the pressures of your world I have him. Let me say to you again. Do you understand? There is no world religion in existence. No philosophy that any man has ever thought up. That ever comes close to that. 
Christianity is a having religion. You have him. And if you want to say, how could I possibly have him? There's only one answer to that. He has given himself to you. You are aware of demon possession in the scriptures. And Jesus casting out demons. It's interesting that no place do people possess demons. They possess us. See, we never have them. They always have us. Because the devil never, ever gives himself to you. Can you imagine a sovereign God putting himself at your disposal? That's beyond thought process. See, that's the premise. Back to our passage, Matthew chapter 5. That's the premise of the passage. See, the premise of the passage is, you are poor in spirit, beginning of the Beatitudes. That if I slit you down the middle and go to the core of your life, you know what I find there? Absolute helplessness. There is no resource whatsoever. And you're not that way because you sin, although you have sinned. You're that way because God created you that way. You were created by God. He dreamed for you to be that way. And in the shaping of your life, he made you totally, absolutely helpless. Why? Because you were built to be dependent, not independent. You were built to be helpless so that he could come in his overwhelming resource and he could give himself to you. And in the giving of himself to you, your helplessness, you give yourself to him in your helplessness and the two of you come together. There is a merger that takes place in that that he calls the kingdom And that kingdom is a relational concept. And the kingdom person revels in the fact, I have God. In fact, that's all I have. But then, what else would you need, you know? Because in him there's all the forgiveness. In him there's all the life. In him there's all the peace. In him there's all the grace. In him there's every good thing I have ever needed. It's all found in this merger. He has given himself to me. Now Jesus says, if you're helpless... And you won't admit it. You're helpless. And you act like you're not. You're dependent. 
but you act like you're independent. What's that all about? How does that express itself? It expresses itself in constantly taking every situation that comes to my life and utilizing it for myself. Why? I have to. I have no resource. So I have to grab for every bit of resource I can possibly get to help me. Let me go over that again. I'm helpless. I won't admit that. I have no resource. I'm not going to admit that. I act like I'm not. So how do I approach every situation? I have to utilize every situation that comes to my way for myself. Which produces an individual who is totally, absolutely wrapped up in himself. Totally, absolutely filled with himself. Totally, absolutely thinks only of himself. Manipulates every situation for himself. It's always out for, hey, how's this going to help me? What can I get? How do I? Always protecting, always guarding, always grabbing. You want to see how self-centered you are? Get married. (laughs) Woo! And have someone 24 hours a day getting in your way. And suddenly, reaching out and grabbing every situation to help me. My selfishness, my, my helplessness is revealed. He says, let me give you a picture. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's fair. You're right. You poke out my eye, I'll poke out your eye. That's fair. It's not fair to poke out two eyes, just one eye. And I'm all about being fair. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not interested in being fair at all. There isn't one single one of us here today that wants what we deserve. Don't be fair to me. I want mercy. I want off the hook. I don't want what I deserve. I don't want... No, no, please don't. Forget fairness. Okay, Jesus says, let's forget fairness. If you're going to forget fairness, how will that react in your life? Well, an evil guy... An evil person, I tell you not to resist an evil person. An evil person, and he gives four scenarios of an evil person. Who's this evil person? Oh, that's simple. He's not a a drug addict. He's not the alcoholic. He's not the guy who constantly steals. He's not the guy who constantly lies, although he may be all of those. Who is the evil guy? He's the guy who's helpless and won't embrace it. Who acts like he's not helpless and therefore in his self-centeredness grabs hold of every situation that comes his way and utilizes it for himself. So he's the guy that in his arrogance and, and his, in his inability and his lack of embracing his helplessness comes right up to you and slaps you upside the head which is insults and we went through that. He's the guy that wants to sue you down to the bare necessities of your life and strip you 
And we discussed that. He's the guy that is so inconvenience you and gets right in your way and demands you go a mile with you. And we've, we've discussed that. Then he comes to this last picture. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you. Oh, good night. Don't come and ask. I don't want to. I, do you understand? That's not fair. I earned the money that bought that machine and he want, he does. He has no investment in it at all. And when he brings it back, it every time he brings it back, it's broken. This is not fair. But we're not dealing with what's fair. Well, I'm not lending. That's hard, isn't it? What do you want to do with this? Well, let me tell you what Jesus does with it. Look at this. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from him that's an interesting statement from him it's a Greek word apo it literally is the idea of separate so what he's really saying is don't separate from him so here's an evil guy you know he's evil hey he manipulates every situation to get something for himself now he wants my equipment now he wants to borrow from me now he wants me to lend him I, I'm, he said hey don't dismiss him point number one don't dismiss him 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 so when you're over the lunch table say what on earth did the preacher say don't dismiss him That's what he said. The evil person, don't dismiss him. Now, this is not a rule. See, don't read this and say, oh, Jesus wants me to loan. Every, I have, anytime anybody asks me, I've got to loan him. I've got to, I've got to, they, they, no, he's not saying that at all. He's not, that's not, no, this is not a rule. He's saying, don't dismiss him. He's not saying give the guy everything he asks for. He's saying get involved in the guy's life. Don't write him off. Don't strike a line through his name. Get involved in what he really needs. Oh, the commentary. The lame beggar. Let's go back there. Here's a lame beggar. He's been begging for over 40 years, or at least he's over 40 years of age. He's skilled at it. He's a con. He's asking for money. Peter and John, come along. He asks for, give me. Oh, according to this, Peter should have shelled out. Peter didn't dismiss him. He didn't ignore him. Well, he didn't give him what he wanted. I know. <laughs> he got involved in his life and gave him what he needed. 
be amazing? If we could actually have God indwelling us in every situation where an evil person was trying to con us and get something from us, we could give them what they need. He says, that, that's the kingdom person, guys. That's the kingdom person. Well, how would that work? It would work exactly like God works in your life. Because you see, I found out, as I thought about this, I've been the lame beggar towards God. Nobody's been a bigger con towards God than me. My whole prayer life is one con. God, give me this. God, give me that. You know how many times I've said, I'm not sure it's worth praying. Why? God never answers my prayers. Because I'm a lame beggar. Say, hey, shell out. See, what I really want is some kind of mystical God with a magical wand that just kind of waves it now and then and solves all this problem and, hey, kills my next door neighbors. And it's just wonderful. That's what I'm after. I'm after some kind of God who just intervenes and, and hey, my shoes don't wear out, which my wife would hate that. But, hey, anyhow, uh, you know, I never have an accident and I just, you know, on and on it goes where I, I and God isn't that way. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't give me what I ask for. He gives me what I need. So I ask him for patience and he gives me trials. That's a bummer. I ask him to teach me love and he gives me an angry boss. That's. <laughs> Wouldn't it be something, folks, to be so filled with God, to have him have him and in the having of him literally confront every self-centered person who wants something from you and not dismiss him or even give him what he wants but to always give him what he needs man I gotta get into that In fact, it's a little worse than that because he says, don't dismiss. But you'll note he goes on to say, number two, dictate direction. Yeah, look at it. He says, verse 42, give to him who asks you and from him, don't dismiss him, who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. 
Now the Greek word there is the word apo, which is from, and uh, another word which is to turn. So it's the idea of turn, to turn him, to direct him, to. It has the undercurrent of is the idea of cause. So you are to engage in the life of the evil person who's trying to con you and you are to engage him and cause within him and be the fingers that shape his life. Go back to Acts. Peter and John walking along, minding their own business. This guy, this beggar, hey! Always somebody wanting something. Doesn't dismiss him. Engages him. Doesn't give him what he wants. Gives him what he needs. And with the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God within him, reaches out grabs him by the hand and literally shapes the rest of his destiny and the man is forever different and it didn't cost Peter a dime What would have been the worst thing Peter could have done for the guy? Ignored him. What could have been the best thing Peter could have done for the guy? Well, in his mind, giving him money. He did neither. He reached out and shaped the man's life. Do you realize this is not the first time Jesus presented this concept? There are six of these illustrations. What we're dealing with is the fifth one. He gave this same concept in the marriage deal, which is verse 31 and 32. The marriage and divorce thing. And it's really been interesting to me through the years. That everybody comes to these verses and says, Oh, I'm looking for the grounds to get a divorce. What are the grounds? Oh, right here they are. And he's not talking about that at all. In fact, the two verses are not on divorce at all. He's not even discussing that. And I can prove to that to you biblically. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about, it's right in the middle of verse, uh, verse 32. He's talking about what do you cause? See, he turns this thing right back on the guy who says, uh, who says, I'm going to divorce my wife. And he turns it right back on him and says, let me ask you, he, a guy who says, what are the grounds so, upon which I can divorce my wife? He turns it right back on him and says, let me talk to you about what you're causing in your wife.
about that? We've discussed this before. I've had a bad day. I come home ticked off, all upset. Who bears the blunt of that? Well, my wife. Because I get all over her. So have I driven her to prayer? Has I driven her to godliness? Have I caused her to be sweet? Have I caused her to be... No, I've caused her to anger. I've caused her to dismay. I've caused her to pressure. I've caused her to... See, what are you causing? What are you causing in the people you hang around? Are they constantly being drawn to God? Are they constantly being drawn to prayer? Is their life being shaped in godliness? Do they have to resist you to be what they ought to be? What is Jesus saying in our passage? He's saying, hey, an evil man full of himself reaches out and grabs every situation to feed his own, his own being, to meet his own needs, lives in that all the time. When he comes and wants to borrow from you, what do you do? Oh, you use it as a platform, ladies and gentlemen, by which you can, don't dismiss, it, dismiss him, don't cut him out. You embrace him, don't give him what he wants, give him what he needs. And you literally become the fingers of God to reach into his life and to shape his destiny. And you've been hanging around the church saying, I wish I could minister. Woo! You're getting a dozen situations daily in which he is calling you to minister. Because you have him. You have him. You have him. Wow, Jesus. The only thing that makes this make sense at all is that I have you. It immediately becomes a rule. It immediately becomes something I've got to accomplish. It immediately, immediately becomes a task. Unless I have you. It's an obligation, a duty. Unless I have you. Unless I have you. And would it also be true, Jesus, that the only reason this wouldn't happen in my life is I don't have you. Could I fall at your feet today? 
and would you give yourself to me? Heads are bowed. The statement in days gone by has been you can have as much of God as you want. I propose that's not true. God does not give himself in proportions you cannot get his right arm his left leg and get the rest of him later you either have him or you don't do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt today that the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit dwell in you like unto a pregnant woman with a baby in her womb Do you have him? You could. You should. You would. If you respond properly. Altars open. Be obedient.